0: share with you this morning from the reading we had in Luke's Gospel, the account of Simeon and Anna, focusing mainly on Simeon, but with some reference to Anna. The scene of this story is set, we are told, in Jerusalem and specifically in the temple that was built by Herod. Of course, it was one of the great wonders of the world in that day, Herod's Temple, and many pilgrims would come, and like we do, visit uh, like we visit cathedrals and what have you, they would come to see the temple and they'd look around uh, the temple. The scene more specifically than even that is set in the court of the woman within the temple. We know this, of course, because Anne was there, and Mary and Joseph, and in fact, there's a story Jesus told about the um, poor widow and casting her her might into the the offering, and she would would have been in the court of the woman. That doesn't mean that it was a a female only area, uh, as we might think men Went there as well. What it meant was that was the furthest point in the temple that a a woman was allowed to go. Only men could go beyond that point. Um, And it was in this court of the woman that this story of Simeon and of Anna is set. And we read how that Joseph and Mary brought the Lord Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. What's known as the presentation of the firstborn. And in verse 22 we read of how they came to offer the sacrifice, the necessary sacrifices according to the law. They come As we read in our first reading this morning, they had come to offer a burnt offering and a sin offering required by law for the presentation of the firstborn. That was the burnt offering and then there were regulations for the cleanness or the uncleanness, ceremonial uncleanness of the of the mother, in this case Mary, which was the sin offering. And we were noted, in our, noted in our reading that a young pigeon or a turtle dove would suffice for both of these offerings in circumstances where the mother was unable to afford a lamb. Um, this was the alternative. If she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And it's interesting, here in verse 24 of Luke, that we read that Mary and Joseph offered a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The Lord Jesus was not born to a wealthy family. He was uh, really a member of the poor And so, 41 days after the birth of Jesus, in order to fulfill all the requirements of the law, the Lord Jesus is brought to the temple. And it's an amazing thing that the Lord Jesus, who would come into the world to be the Redeemer, was made under the law, as it says in Galatians and. The price of redemption for the firstborn that was that was instituted in Exodus chapter 13 in relation to the, the firstborn being spared in the Passover in Exodus. That the Lord Jesus, his parents, brought him and paid the redemption price. The Lord Jesus, of course, didn't need to be redeemed, he was the redeemer, uh, but he was made the scripture says, under the Lord to redeem them that were under the Lord it reminds me of the response of the Lord Jesus when initially John refused the Lord Jesus to be baptised he said no, no, I'm not going to baptise you but the Lord Jesus said suffer it to be So now, for it fulfilleth all righteousness. You see, the Lord Jesus has come to humble himself. He came to place himself under the law that he had made. To be, to fulfill the law that we might be free from its terrors and its punishments. Then we read, um, looking at verse 27, We read of God's perfect sovereign timing, don't we? Because we read in this court of a woman, we read of Simeon and Anna coming into that court of a woman just at the same time as Mary and Joseph brought the Lord Jesus Christ to the temple. Verse 27, it says, And he, Simeon, came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, after the custom of the law. And verse 38, And she, Anna, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And there's no such thing as luck uh, with God. He orders everything and the time in here was in his sovereign purpose and will. Simeon and Anna came by the Spirit into the temple just at the right time. Do you know the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I've said this I think I may have said this last time is so underestimated. The, Holy, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is underestimated particularly when it comes to Christmas. And um, And it's ridiculous when you think of it because the actual record of of the nativity, of all these things, well, we wouldn't have it were it not for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter explained that it was by the Holy Spirit that the prophets searched what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ in them indicated, signified when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory which would follow. You see, the the whole of the Scripture is born out of the operation and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is everywhere over this story. You look at the first two chapters on their own. The Holy Spirit's all over it. The Gospels tell us that it was by the Holy Spirit that Mary became pregnant. Gabriel tells Zacharias that his son John will be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Later, when his tongue was loosed, uh, the father of John, Zacharias, himself was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied himself. When Elizabeth, John's mother, heard Mary's salutation, The babe leapt in a womb, and what? Elizabeth was filled, the scripture says, with the Holy Ghost. And here, Simeon, we're told in verse 25, that the Holy Ghost was upon him. You see, all these believers, these um, godly believers that we read of here in Luke 1 and 2, they were all led, directed, filled, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Simeon came into the temple by the Holy Spirit. It says in Psalm thirty seven twenty three that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You see, if we're truly walking as we should with god then our steps all of our steps are ordered by him nothing is an accident he will lead us to the right places at the right time to the right people and give us the right words paul says in galatians 5:16 6, this i say walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's not underestimate the Holy Spirit at Christmas and all, at all times in our lives. And I just want to look a little bit about, uh, to look a little in respect of sinning. Because I believe everything that we read here of Simeon in particular, and of Anna, I don't know how much we'll get to Anna, not that, it's not that she's less important, which is I'm talking about Simeon for me. But I believe everything that we read up here, we're going to go through, is a testimony, not to Simeon, but to the Holy Spirit's power and work in his life. Everything that's said about Simeon's character is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And we read here of a man, I believe, who was displaying the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It was because he walked in the Holy Spirit that he was in a place where he could receive Direct prophetic revelation from God, which we read of. It was revealed unto him, verse 26, by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was a spirit filled prophet, and he, who, every, as much as every other prophet in the Old Testament, was a person who inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in him was signifying. He was a prophet and the Holy Spirit was working in his life. And the Holy Spirit in him produced the life of God in him, sanctified him and made him a man of God. There's no evidence that Simeon was anything um, extraordinary or special in the world. There's no evidence that he was a priest. He was an ordinary person, as far as we can see, by the standards of this world. He was a simple believer. And his name, Simeon, testified to what God was doing in his life. Simeon is is a very common name at that time. But... It means, it means, God has heard. Simeon means God has heard. And I I believe that just sums up Simeon completely. Simeon by name and by nature. For he was one who was seeking an answer from God. For God to fulfill this prophetic promise to send the Saviour, the Anointed One, the Christ. And that he would see, literally see with his own eyes, this anointed Messiah before he died. That was God's assurance to him. And so that we don't have much in the way of biography of Simeon. We have his name. We have part of his address, which was Jerusalem. We don't know the street or the house number. It's all we know, it says in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Pretty brief. We know very little about his outer life, but we know quite a lot here about his inner life, his spiritual life. Verse 25, it says, And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, And the Holy Ghost was upon me. You see, I believe only the Holy Spirit can create a man like that. It's only the Holy Spirit that can make us like that. He's described as just and devout, righteous and devout. Of course he was reckoned, he was accounted righteous, just like Abraham was accounted. Righteous through faith. I don't I think in context, in context is probably not meaning that kind of righteous, but rather the reference here is to his consistent, faithful, and holy walk with God day by day. Growing in faith and obedience and personal holiness. He was just, he was righteous in his walk. And it says he was devout. He was devoted to the Lord, in other words. He's pious. He showed reverence, godly fear. He's God's man. In his heart, God really has a hold of him. That's what being devout means that God has got you in the deepest place in your life. And that means his he, righteousness, his walk, it wasn't a slavish following of law. It was obedience springing from a heart of love for God. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I thought of this as I was preparing. If we, if we treated the if, if the average Christian treated um, our wife or our um, child or even our friends the way we treat God, half the time we, they would they would have nothing more to do with us. They would give up on us in despair. Imagine if we if we hardly ever spoke to our best friend or to our wife. If we if we rarely celebrated their achievements. If we rarely read the letters that they send to us. If we ignored their request. If we displeased them. If we spent our all of our time on everything else, not them. did the very opposite of what they wanted us to do all of the time and most of us. That's how we treat God, the average Christian. But you know, the truly devout, devout Christian is someone who longs to please God because God has got your heart. He's grabbed you and he's won you with his love and your heart is knitted to his heart as his heart is knitted to yours. The Holy Spirit can work this devoutness, this righteousness, this justness into us. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And how vital it it is that our Christian lives look like Simeon's. Because Israel then was, was very similar Well, in many ways it was very different, but in many ways it was similar to our society today. Israel at that time was in near total spiritual darkness. Israel had become profane. They were in the dark spiritually. The voice of God had not been heard for 400 years. The the, the echo of the voice of Malachi can hardly now be heard. God had not sent a prophet. The Pharisees and the scribes led the nation spiritually and they they were the blind leading the blind. And that never ends well, does it? Particularly if you're crossing the road. And yet in the darkness of Israel there were these little stars. Men. Women. Women. Simeon, Anna, Elizabeth, Zacharias, Mary, Joseph, others. Anna spoke to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. So there were obviously others too that are not mentioned. There was a remnant. There were these little stars in the darkness that we could see. There were God's men and women, the remnant that God always keeps. Even in the darkest And the, these ones kept on shining, blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked generation, a crooked and perverse nation. And they shone like lights in the world. You know, we need to be doing the same, don't we? We, we are. We are the light of the world. We're, we're, we may be. Not very many, but we're we're stars, we're lights shining in the darkness, and we need to pray to God this year that we, we should we shine more effectively, more brightly in this dark and crooked and perverse world. And all this verse twenty five uh, was because I think it really was because the Holy Spirit was upon this remnant, this group of people. Verse 25, there's another aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in in Simeon which is seen, I think, in the words waiting for the consolation of Israel. Notice that in verse 25. It was just in a devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. What does that mean? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, this man, Simeon, I think knew, and we need to learn this too, he knew how to live in the good of God's promise to him. You see, this man... Had, had an eschatological hope sorry to use that big word but it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ he had this hope in the coming of the Lord and every day I didn't say that but I expect every day like Anna who we know was there every day because it says so was in the temple looking looking waiting, watching for the coming of the Lord. He could be seen wandering in the temple court, especially the court of the woman. Because Simeon and Anna, they knew their scriptures. They they weren't looking for an adult. They were looking for a baby. They knew their scriptures. And they knew because it was a baby, that the best place to be to find Messiah will be in the court of a woman. They knew Isaiah said a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Even the remnant amongst the Gentiles, the wise men, they, they what did they come to seek? They came to seek a babe. And Simeon had a hunger and a thirst and a hope in his heart. He was watching and waiting for the day that God will fulfill his promise. You're not going to die, Simeon, until you've seen Messiah. But God didn't tell him what day, what year, what month it would be. He had to watch and wait and hope in the hope God had given to him by his word of promise. Anna had exactly the same hope in her heart. And she departed not from the temple. I've we said that there are others whose names are not given. Who were looking for redemption in Israel. You see. Although they were small.
1: They were a remnant. Although the world was dark around them. They had this
0: hope that Christ would come. This faithful band, these brothers and sisters, were looking for the consolation of Israel. They knew their scriptures. They knew that Isaiah, had, as an oracle of God, had said, "Sing, O heavens! Sing, O heavens! And be joyful, O earth! And break forth into singing, O ye mountains! For the Lord hath comforted his people." And will have mercy upon his afflicted. God had promised consolation would come through Messiah. Do you know God's true people, God's true spirit filled people, if they're truly walking with God, are always people who have their eyes on the coming day of the Lord. Our consolation will be the day of Christ's second coming. Simeon was looking for his first coming. But it's the same principle. It's the same hope that Simeon had in his heart, that we should have in our heart. And so many today seem to, even people with similar theology to us seem to have attached their hope to the earth, to politics, to to culture, to false and empty forms of religion. But Simeon and the rest of God's elect had their hope in God. They didn't care a fig for for Roman power, for Greek culture, even for dead Pharisaical religion. Their hope was in the day that Christ would come and God would fulfil his promises. you know I believe that we need to simply preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ society and culture and even politics change by Christians being made God may call you into all sorts of different types of work and you will be salt and light but the church as the church has one job And it is to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know, there's another aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in this man, Simeon. And uh, this is is a wonderful thing too. Uh, Did you notice, in verse 29 particularly, how Simeon, has a complete absence of the fear of death. He says, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He wasn't afraid to die. He had total peace. I haven't only really thought of this so, um, yesterday. You see, we could I expect that would have been like this. Probably, God had promised him he could not die. He would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Someone who is fearful of death then would have, would, would have got, would have gone everywhere apart from the temple because you don't want to see Christ. Because as soon as you see him, you can now die. But what do we see in Simeon? On the contrary, a bit like Moses did once, he says, Lord, let me depart. I've seen Christ. And the true Christian doesn't fear death. He has confidence that, well, Simeon had confidence that he would see the Lord before he died. It's different for us. We have confidence that we will see the Lord after we die. When the Christian dies, he awakes, she awakes in the very presence of Christ. And even that is not our final and fullest hope, because our bodies remain in the earth. And we're told, in fact, a lot more about the final new heavens and the new earth than we are about that period of time in between, what's called the intermediate state. When we go to heaven, Without our bodies. But what we do know, despite the fact we're told very little about it, is that it is a great and wonderful place to be. The Apostle Paul, in reference to this intermediate state in Philippians 1, says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Like Simeon, he has a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, only the true believer is able to look death straight in the eye and say, I do not fear you, and have peace that passes understanding. The Gospel in Christ delivers you from the fear of death, delivers those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Once you've known salvation in Christ, you have the consolation and confidence that Simeon knew in his heart. Let's continuing with the story in verse 28. Verse 28, we see how Simeon comes over to Mary and Joseph And takes the baby from them and holds Jesus, the Christ of God, in his arms and blesses blesses God. Then he took him, took him up in his arms and blessed God. Lord, now let me depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen
1: your salvation.
0: Simeon's mind is saying, "I've seen, I've seen him. I've seen with my own eyes all that I need to see. I don't need to, anything else to be. Re- I'm now ready to depart. I've looked into the face of my Saviour, and that's enough. I'm ready." I mean, no wonder if you've got that in, in your that peace in your life. As you I mean, you, many of you are too young probably to start thinking about death, but young people die too. But as you get older, you, you think about death, and, and do we what, what's in our our mind? Do we fear it? Are we it's, uh, enslaved to the fear of it, or are we like Simeon? And we have peace. We're saying, Lord, now let me depart in peace to be, for me to live is Christ, yes, but to die is gain. I wonder if we have that in our heart. I think the, the best catechism of all is the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's simple and it's a child could use it easily. And the Heidelberg Catechism opens with this question and answer. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful saviour Jesus Christ I wonder if you've got that comfort in life and in death there's a modern hymn that has been written which I like, which is based on that catechism and the opening words are what is our hope in life and death Christ alone, Christ alone What is our only confidence that our souls belong to him? And the verse says, who holds our days within his hand? What comes apart from his command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. And and, uh, the question I have for us this morning, and to anyone who may listen to this, is what is your hope? In life and in death. Simeon had this great hope and peace in his heart because of Christ. He saw his Saviour. Simon blessed God with Jesus in his arms. And then, under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, we read in verses 29 to 32. That he did a most amazing thing. He sung a new song. He sung a hymn. It says, Lord, now us, thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So now again, I think this is a mark of the the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in people's lives is that where the Holy Spirit working there is always song. Old songs and new songs. Old songs songs are sung and new hymns are written. And in the first two chapters of Luke we have, we have spirit wrought hymns right through. Hymns from Zacharias, from Elizabeth from Mary, from the angels, the choir, and now from Simeon, praise and worship to God. And Simeon's, I think, is one of the greatest hymns in the New Testament, because there are a lot of them. It doesn't come across in in the English translation, but in, in, in the Greek it's obvious where these hymns are in the New Testament. There are many of them. And Simeon's, I think, is one of the greatest hymns celebrating God's salvation. It's known as the Nunc Dimittis in Latin. And right here, at the presentation of the Lord, the Holy Spirit uses a humble man, an ordinary minister, to preach the gospel. And what does Simeon sing or say about this gospel? Verse 30, he says... It is thy salvation. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Looking at this babe in his arms, he says, I'm looking at salvation. This is what people don't understand very often. What is salvation? Salvation is Jesus. There's no salvation apart from him. The person of Jesus is salvation. The person of Christ is not a set of rules, it's not a philosophy, it's not a program. Christianity is Christ. And literally, holding this baby in his arms, Simeon can say, "This This is salvation. And my eyes have seen it. And he was named Jesus. at his circumcision, he was given the name Jesus, which which was Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves. That's what Jesus means. Jehovah saves. The Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. And uh, many people during this week come in. Is it this week? Yes, it is. Will see, but they'll only see a sentimental story about it. A, a, that, they'll that agree a special baby, um, and there'll be all sorts of warm feeling about it, and they'll miss the whole point. You see, you need to be born again by the Holy Spirit to see that Jesus is God's way of salvation. You need eyes of faith. And only God in Christ can reveal that to you. When when Peter, when it really, when Peter first really understood who Jesus was, the Lord Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You see, to really see who Jesus is and to see the Lord is your salvation. It's a revelation to your soul which only God can give. It comes through new birth. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 31 in reference to this salvation Simeon says which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. You see it's God's salvation because he's prepared it. He's prepared it before the face of all people. He planned it, he desired it, and he designed it, and he delivered it. There's an old song I used to sing when I was a child. It was, oh, the love that drew salvation to plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. That Calvary, you see, it's God's plan. And this salvation, we're told, is not for the Jews only. It's prepared before the face of all people. The Jews, Israel, was mightily used in the plan of salvation. And that's why it says... Finding right the right verse quickly. Thirty-two actually it says, A light to lighten light to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You see, the gospel is the glory of Israel. Paul, referring to Israel, says, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? whose are the fathers. And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. That's the glory of Israel. But it's not just for Israel. This gospel, this salvation is for all the peoples. It says it's a light to, to lighten the Gentiles. This is the wonderful thing. And in Christ, Jew and Gentile are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And of two out of twain comes one man. The enmity is destroyed. The middle wall of partition is smashed. And now there is one body, one bread, baptised into one spirit. The Messiah has come as a light to lighten the Gentiles. Well, that language, of course, is borrowed from Isaiah. Who... um, he spoke of a covenant for the people, for a light of the Gentiles. He said Messiah would open blind eyes. Isaiah said that Messiah would be given for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. He said all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah said, it is the Gentiles that shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Amazing thing that salvation should come to all the ends of the earth, to the little islands, to all the continents, to every kindred, tribe, and nation. In verse 33, I think, Just looking at verse thirty-three, we see Joseph and Mary are are amazed. They begin to marvel. Well, I first when I thought about that, I I marvel that they're marveling because what is there left to be amazed about? Gabriel—they've already been told that this baby would be great, would be divine, would be the son of the highest, that he would be given the throne of David, that he would be given a never-ending kingdom—and yet Simeon manages somehow, still to make them be amazed. And what was it that was left? It was this, I think. That literally, for anyone, anywhere in the world to be saved, it can only be through their baby Jesus the angel told them to name Yeshua, Jehovah Saved. That, that must be of what, what astonished Mary and Joseph that he was this babe was for all the nations not just Israel. And that's really the most amazing thing that in God's economy we are included. We as unnatural branches are grafted onto the natural branch of Israel. And after singing his prophetic hymn Simeon in verse 34 blesses the family and then he does something amazing. He looks at Mary and he addresses Mary directly. And what he says to Mary is quite amazing. He says three things about Jesus. First of all he says that he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for many and a rock of salvation for others. It says this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Secondly that he will be a sign which shall be spoken against. I'm in verse 34 at the moment. Thirty-four and thirty-five, and then thirdly, that Jesus will be a sword which will pierce through Mary's heart and the hearts of many others too. We we'll very quickly go through them. First, many will fall, and run. many will fall because of Christ, and God's people will be raised by Him. Is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. This reminds me that there's no neutrality when it comes to Christ. You're either with him or against him, you are for him or against him. Peter describes this sharp difference um, in people's responses to Christ. He says unto you who believe, Christ is precious. But unto those who are disobedient, the vast majority of the world, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and what? A stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. Even to them who stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto they are also appointed. You see, from for many people, Christ. Is a stumbling block. And they, 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 it will be their downfall. It will cause their fall. And for others, God's people, Christ causes us to rise. He lifts us up, sets our feet upon a rock. He becomes our rock. We shelter in him. And then Simeon says that Jesus will be a sign spoken against. Well, that's true, isn't it? We think of how great the contradiction of sinners was that Jesus had to suffer. Jesus was called mad and bad. He was called a devil. He was reviled. What Peter said... You revile, not again. See, everyone loves the story of baby Jesus in the cradle, but if you start talking to them about the cross and how Jesus was set forth as a propitiation in his blood, and they'll soon change their tune. They'll sing away in an angel, but you tell them of, of how... The Lord Jesus Christ was the substitute that He bore in His body your sin and my sin on our, in our stead. And then they're not so keen. They will reproach, we are often reproached for the name of Christ. And you know, It's not just when Jesus was on earth. He's still being reproached and insulted today. He's still a sign that is spoken against today. Peter said, If you be reproached at the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit and glory of God rested upon you. And it says here, On their part, He, Christ, is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. That's what I call a good deal. Christ is vilified and reviled, but when we're reviled in His name, we get glory for it. And Jesus is still a sign which shall be spoken against. And then lastly, Jesus is a sword verse 35 yea a sword shall pierce through thy own soul so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed this looks ahead doesn't it to the sufferings and crucifixion of Jesus Christ Mary says Simeon the time is coming that a sword will pierce your own soul he is a baby now but he has a destiny that was set in eternity in the covenant of redemption, salvation began in the loving purpose and will of the Trinity, and God sent forth his Son, and I can just picture the Son holding like a small globe in his hand this world. The son said to the father, like Isaiah did, here I am, send me. And Jesus came to this small, relatively small planet from heaven. And on a bare hill, Jesus Christ died. For our sins, for my sins, for your sins. And I'm sure when Mary saw her son upon the cross and when she saw the Roman sword and spear go through his heart that a sword went through her heart. But I think more than the fact that she was his mother I think maybe that the sword that went through her heart was the thought that Her son was on the cross, not only for the sins of the world, but for her sins too. We may not know, the hymn says, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear, but we believe it was for us he hung and suffered there. I wonder if the sword, that sword, has ever pierced into your soul. The Bible calls it the conviction of sin. That knowledge that you're a sinner and that you need salvation. You see that there are many, at the cross of Christ, many hearts are revealed. The thoughts of many hearts are revealed at the cross. If you truly come to the cross, the thoughts of your heart are revealed. We've become real, as we really are. We can't pretend at the cross with God. We can fool each other. We can fool maybe sometimes ourselves. We can't fool God. He sees us, naked as we are in our sin. He knows exactly who you are and who I am. And every thought is revealed. His sword goes through into our soul and reveals everything. Revelation, Christ is, is spoken of as walking among his lampstands with a sharp sword with two edges. His word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows. Unable to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Dear friends, Christ, if you come to Him, He will reveal your heart. There'll be no more hiding from Him. Christ is a stone of stumbling, He's a sign spoken against, He's a sword that reveals the soul. You can't evade him, you can't avoid a decision about him. He knows your every thought, every sin. And you know, there'll come a day, whether you like it or not, that every soul will be shown for what it is. The great white throne, the books will be opened, the Bible says, and everything about your life will be exposed to men and angels and archangels and most importantly to God. And you will either rise or fall at that judgment because of Christ. Lord Jesus came not to be our judge but to be our saviour. But if we refuse his salvation we will face him as judge. And this morning I want us to learn from Simeon. And that your eyes, your eyes of faith would see Jesus as as he saw Jesus as my salvation. That Jesus is my saviour. He wants to be your saviour. He came into the world to be your saviour. And he invites you to this morning through his word. Amen. Amen.